Welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland Athletics and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and this week I talked to veteran second baseman Jed Lowry about the recent pace of play rule changes and about the upcoming season. Stay tuned after that for a little bit of balance after Stanford grad Lowry. We will have Cal grad Mark Canna as part of our Players' Choice segment. This week, Mark Canna will be giving us a restaurant review. And finally, a new segment we are calling Shea Plus, a discussion with the Chronicle's national baseball writer, John Shea. We'll be discussing the A's and the rest of the league. Jed, um, sort of off the top of your head, what do you think about some of the, the things that they're planning on doing this coming year for pace of play? I, I'm, I'm really happy with the, uh, the decisions that, that uh, the commissioner made. Um, you know, I think there was a, at one point talk of a, of a pitch clock and um, enforcing that pitch clock with balls and strikes. And um, to, you know, if that was the extreme where we ended up, I think is, is, a, good, uh, is a good start. You concerned at all about the um, restrictions, somewhat restrictions on mound visits, some six per game, which I think doing the math is uh, the, the A's said they'd had 4.7 per game last year, um, although they were not sure whether that included catchers going out to the mound, infielders going out to the mound. What do you, what do you think about that and the, the potential impact on the game with the mound visits? Uh, you know, I think that's I think that's yet to be seen. I think there will be far fewer visits uh, from from positional players, um, whether that's the catcher or the the infielders. And I think that will I think that will speed up the speed up the game in turn. Like I, I have a hard time saying you know speeding up the game. I, I think for me it's just the um, the time in between balls in play. I, I think you know baseball is a very ex- exciting sport when uh, when the ball's put in play. There's so many moving pieces. Um, so I, I think the um, I think the focus should be on that. Trying to trying to minimize the time uh, you know in between balls in play, the action of the game, and uh, you know speeding up the game just for the sake of speeding it up. I don't think it's. A, I don't think that should be the focus. It sounds like they're also going to try to do a better job of enforcing things like making sure that when play comes back from a, a commercial mm-hmm. a timeout, that they that the hitter hitters ready to go. Um, hitters don't step out of the box too often. Don't take too much time. From a hitter's perspective, can those kind of things throw you off, or is that going to be fairly easy to adjust to if they are trying to make sure that guys are staying in the box a little more, getting back in quickly? You know, that's a that's a double-edged sword. I'm not going to say it's just on on the hitters. You know, sometimes you're in the box, you're ready, and the pitcher's not ready, and sometimes vice versa. Um, but I, I think when you have a clock on the on the field, when the when the um, when it's not during play, I think that's a good thing because it keeps everybody accountable to that time. Um, and and you know too, it's not just some arbitrary, you know, timing of hey, the pitcher's got his seven warm-ups done, then you know you need to be ready to go. It's you know each and every inning you get a set amount of time for to get off the field and get in the box. Um, we t- had talked last year and this about um, one of the ways you think that the Major League Baseball could speed things up a little bit, and that's by actually um, thinking a little harder about the strike zone and how they they um, call it what what specifically do you think maybe they could do with the strike zone well I you know I, I think uh, 
like I said, the, the the action of the game is what's more important. And I think, um, you know, if we can minimize uh, minimize the dead time in between that action, um, I think that's good for the game. And um, you know, if you if you force if you force pitchers into the strike zone more often, I think guys will be more aggressive. I haven't played with too many major league hitters who go up there trying to walk. Um, they're generally looking for good pitches to hit. Um, so. You know that's it's easy for me to say as a hitter, um, but you know if you look at look at it statistically, uh, the batting average of balls in play has not um, deviated much from the historical norm. If anything, with shifts, it's probably dropped a little bit. Uh, so, so you could make the argument that there might be a few more home runs uh, if if pitchers were forced to throw it, uh, you know, over a, a you know a smaller zone, especially top to bottom. Um, but you know, I, I just I don't see how that would change batting average of balls in play at all. Uh, it would just, in my opinion, increase the um, rate of action or decrease the pitches per at bat. I, I have heard people say sort of the opposite that mm -hmm. they should actually call the strike zone more the way it's written. You know, including that the high strike mm -hmm. and the more strikes you call, you know, the, maybe the more quickly the game goes. Um, but you're actually saying no, not a bigger strike zone. Mm -hmm. Actually, make them throw it into a, a somewhat of a smaller area. Correct. Well, I, I, you know, if you look uh, at pitch FX, the strike zone um, has gotten bigger since they started using it, um, particularly to the bottom of the zone. And, um, you know, everybody's everybody's got their own theories. I'm sure, you know, pitchers will tell you that a bigger strike zone will speed the game up. Um, but the the reality is is that the pitching uh, the zone has gotten bigger um, over the last decade and the games are taking longer did you see um, that much evidence of, of catchers in particular coming out to the mound a little uh, more often than usual last year there's a, a certainly a lot of talk in the playoffs mm -hmm. about catchers maybe slowing things down by going out constantly but you know because there was concern about sign stealing I mean that's a constant in the game, the sign stealing. I mean that's um, you, you try to you try to minimize it, but you know you just gotta um, you just have to be you, you have to be on the same page and and it like I said that that's for me that's when the the game um, appears to to get boring, right? Or even when I'm out in the field when there's um, large you know, large stretches of, of time that goes by where there's no balls in play, that's when, you know, that's when you really have to focus as a player because it's, you know, you have to be ready each and every pitch. And the longer that goes on without that, you know, action in the field, um, it's easier for your concentration to slip. Now, you're always very conversant in analytics and kind of up to date on whatever the most current analytics trends are uh, and, and how they're applied, maybe more important. What sort of numbers are, do you like looking at right now? What sort of things do you, do you think are, are valuable when it comes to analytics currently? You know, I, I, I try to stay up with it. There's, you know, a lot of proprietary stuff, too. So, um, but, but the one thing that I look at specifically is um, exit velocity uh, from a hitter's perspective because when you know what your max exit velocity is then you can um, you can figure out you know you, you can't lie oh I hit that ball well right like you can just go up and check and see whether or not you hit that ball well and for me um, I, I know that I'm swinging the bat well 
and I'm squaring balls up the way that I should be when my exit velocity is at a thir certain threshold. So, so that's one, um, you know, that's not necessarily a, I, I don't know if you would consider it an analytic. It's just a, it's just an unbiased number that um, you can't hide from. Now, we, since we always like to talk about baseball issues, you and I, um, certainly one of the big topics over the winter was the free agent market and uh, what was going on, why it was so slow. Your agent is Brody Van Wagenen, who came out at one point and expressed some very major concerns about what was going on with, right. the, with the teams not signing some of the more high-profile free agents. You yourself are a free agent after this coming season. What are your thoughts on um, this year's free agent market and uh, the teams and, and really the, the union, which has come a little bit under fire? Yeah, I don't think that there's one simple answer um, to um, to to the way that the off season um, has unfolded up to this point, and, and is still, um, you know, has not resolved itself. There's still uh, a lot of quality major league players that that have not signed yet, um, and I'm not I'm not privy to to those. Um, negotiations so it would be hard for me uh, to say if if reasonable deals are being turned down um, but it, it's certainly not good for the game to have quality players uh, not on the field uh, I, I think it's a um, I think it's an integrity issue uh, if you boil it down to um, to its base level because fans pay uh, to see the best players on the field that's a good way to put it. They certainly, they certainly do. Um, it, this is a very young team, this Oakland A's team. There, there has been some talk about, you know, team leadership. Uh, and I know during FanFest, every time the young players were asked about team leaders, they all immediately said that it's you. How, how have you sort of taken to that role? How do, how do you see your role when a team is, is as young as this one is? Well, I, you know, I, I look back at, at my career and uh, coming up with the Red Sox, I look at the the leadership that was on that team. And I look at guys like Jason Veritek and Mike Lowell and David Ortiz. Um, you know, <clears throat> Veritek and Lowell in particular, you know, these guys are not uh, overly vocal. If something needs to be said, they say it. But but I think the beautiful thing about baseball is so much can be learned from observation. And uh, as a young player, you you have to you have to learn what it takes for for you to get ready to play every day. And I think if you have that example um, uh, at, from an older guy who who has a proven track record, who um, you know still goes about it the right way and still can perform, I think that makes a big difference. Um, so you know it's not like I'm walking around the clubhouse and pointing every little thing out, but you know I. You know, my my intention is is to be a good example by um, by the way I prepare myself and the way that um, I handle myself in certain situations. And there's going to be times throughout the year where um, you know things need to be said. And uh, I feel like I'm at a point in my career where uh, you know I've I've seen a thing or two and and I can um, I can provide a little perspective. You're coming off with one of the best seasons of your career. Obviously, you were healthy all season. Um, I know you had the um, surgery before the season, before the deviated septum. You obviously um, you um, also had your foot for foot surgery. Um, how much did those things contribute to your season, and, and uh, how, how rewarding was it to, to stay healthy and put up the kind of numbers that you did? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was probably one of the better decisions of my career. Um, if, if I look at the 2016 season where where I was at and, um, you know, after that, uh, after the injury happened in uh, in the middle of the season, I, you know, I ended up playing about a month on it and, you know, just realizing it wasn't getting any better. If anything, it was getting worse. Um, and, you know, I needed to take care of the foot. The, the deviated septum was something that I knew I needed going into the 2016 season but didn't have time to do it. I actually found out about it too late, um, only a few days before I left for spring training. Um, so looking back on it, I wish I would have done it because it made uh, such a big difference. Not, you know, it's easy to say, um, you know, looking back on it now in, in the statistics, but just for quality of life. And, and I think I, I even said that in spring training last year that, that you know, the, the baseball aside, you know, my quality of life dra- dramatically uh, improved from 2000, you know, and, and this dates back to probably the end of 2013 <laughs> is when I really started feeling, like if I look back at it honestly at this point, um, when I started to feel that sleep deprivation add up. And, uh, you know, so I went I went a good three and a half years where uh, I didn't know why I felt as poorly as I did. Um, Considering that you know I wasn't burning both ends of the candles, uh, both both ends of the candle, I knew how to take care of myself. Um, I I know what I need to do, and and I, I just I still felt terrible, and I didn't know why. And um, but better late than never. My favorite thing I think about that was you had this deviated septum surgery and started sleeping better, and then almost immediately had your your first child. Yeah. I think brought home your first second child. Second child yeah. that, uh, like almost immediately right after that, and then went back to getting no sleep at all. Well, I, I I think I I think I even said this to you at one point that I'm I was sleeping fewer hours at the time, but I was actually feeling better because the quality of sleep was was so much better. I was actually I was actually getting oxygen when I was sleeping at night, which is a um, you know is a real uh, uh, you know, letting the cat out of the bag on the, on that one. Um, but you know, it, it was uh, uh, it, you know something that, like I said, I, I wish I I wish I would have known about uh, a couple years earlier. But better late than never. How, how do you see this season uh, ahead going, uh, especially for you, but also this team because it's a young team. I think kind of going under the radar. An awful lot of good young talent here. There, there's a lot of talent, and you look at uh, you, you look at the way that we finished the season last year. Uh, I think that I think that's something to be excited about. You know, there's uh, some momentum going into the year. Uh, anytime you have a young team, there's a lot of um, unknowns throughout the course of 162 because. Uh, there's going to be those ups and downs and and you know the this league makes adjustments quickly and uh, so you know you just gotta as a young player you just gotta continue to work and and not get too frustrated because uh, you know you're playing against the best in the world and um, that you know those guys drive drive nice cars too it's true. Um, and your good friend Brandon Moss is back yeah. in camp. Um, Stephen Piscotti, who's a Stanford grad, what do you think about some of the off-season additions, maybe especially Moss? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, <laughs> Moss and I go way back. Um, we played together in the minor leagues with the Red Sox and then a little bit of time in the major leagues as well. And, you know, the, to this day, if not, if not my favorite teammate of all time, um, certainly, certainly top three. Um, and... 
you know, just a just a great guy to have in the clubhouse. And um, you know, seeing seeing him the first few days of camp, he's still got a lot of power in the bat. So, uh, you know, I, I hope that I hope that he can be a, a contributor on this team. And um, you know, I, I think his presence would be uh, would be good for a lot of these guys. And. Uh, I'm just getting to know Piscotti, but you know, just seems like a down-to-earth guy. That um, you know, every, everybody knows about his trials and tribulations right now, and and you know, for him to to come out here with the attitude that he has so far, and um, I, you know, I think he'll, I, I think he will be a positive contributor, and um, it's not hard to to see the talent when you watch him move around. Uh, the bullpen also um, picked up a few pieces. Of really, the, one of the few areas where you guys did make some additions. You've faced Pagan, you've faced Petit. What do you think about uh, the moves that they've made to really solidify this bullpen, which, considering the youth of the rotation, seems like is, is fairly crucial. Yeah, and then um, you know Butcher too, the the left-handed addition. Uh, I, I think will make a make a big, big difference. You know, they were running Coulomb out there. Um, seemingly every night because um, he was the only option but uh, you know you're talking about two quality major league relievers in in Pagan and Petit and um, I mean that's that's the where the that's where this game is going you know you you really you're really only asking your starters for five innings at this point um, so uh, you look at the teams that have had um, postseason success uh, they, they have loaded bullpens Thank you so much for joining us on A's Plus, Jed. You're our second guest of the season, so very nice to have you with us. All right. Thanks, Susan. Thanks for having me. We've reached the portion of the podcast that we like to call Player's Choice, where a player coach gives us a joke or a movie review, or in this case, obviously, a restaurant review. Mark Canna is kind of our reliable foodie in the clubhouse, and he has a restaurant recommendation for those of you who might be coming down to spring training. Mark, what, what, what have you discovered? Um, well, I discovered, uh, I didn't really discover it this year, but last year I did, and then I went there for dinner for the first time, and it's called The Farm at South Mountain. Um, and I think the, the dinner restaurant there they call Quiescence. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Quiescence. Um, but it's all at the, yeah, it's all at the same place, and it's a farm, and it's uh, local. The farm's right, right on site, and it's farm to table, and really good. Uh, what, what, how would you describe the menu? Like, what, what are the, were the highlights for you? Um, it's all good. I mean, we, I think I had a four-course menu because they were serving the Valentine's menu still, and I happened to go there the day after um, on my birthday. But it's the way I describe it is just your typical, like, very fresh ingredients, um, what you'd expect from a farm-to-table place. Um, you're gonna get what's what's fresh on the farm that day. So a lot of the different dishes will have some similar vegetables in it. So that's kind of the the telltale signs is when you're getting like similar vegetables on every dish. You're like, oh, okay, this is what you know is seasonal, and this is what is fresh, and and I'm eating it. And it was probably picked today. What's the ambiance like there? Uh, it's really nice. It's it's upscale. It's definitely. Uh, like if you go there for dinner, it's definitely a date night type restaurant, um, classy, you know, dress nice, and uh, it's a it's a really nice ambiance. You drive in and you're driving 
through basically through the farm when you drive in and uh, at night they hang up lights and it's it's all lit up and it's really it's really cool it's nice well i'm going to put that on my list next thanks and we will look forward to more recommend restaurant recommendations from you throughout the course of the year all right look forward to it susan that's player's choice on a's plus This is a new segment we are calling Shea Plus, and I'm delighted to welcome the Chronicles national baseball writer, John Shea. We are weekly going to discuss the A's, um, but also a lot of topics around the league. So uh, John wrote recently wrote a really interesting piece about the fact that both the A's and the Giants elected this offseason to not improve their rotations, which which is not the norm for either one of these teams to, to go into the season with so many question marks in their rotations. And for the A's, no veterans. So, John, John, what's sort of your your take on the, the approach both the A's and the Giants are taking this year going into the season with their rotations? Well, first of all, thank you, Susan. What an introduction. <laughs> I appreciate the, appreciate the time. This will be fun. And talking baseball, nothing better, right? Nothing better. Um, the fact is, these two teams have had a recent history, maybe a prolonged history, of kind of always knowing what the top three, four, maybe even five guys in the rotation are going to be. And this year is totally different. In fact, you could suggest that neither team got anybody in the offseason. They kind of looked at other needs, the A's with their bullpen and desire to use young kids, the Giants with well, all kinds of needs that they had to fill, but it wasn't the rotation, and the rotation wasn't too good. 15th in the majors in ERA, the Giants, the A's 20th in the majors in ERA, relying on Graveman, Manaya, and who knows at 3, 4, and 5. Tons of candidates, and all pretty intriguing, but nobody really stands out yet as the guy, whether it's Mengden or Blackman, uh, I mean, there were there were several people at the end of the season who would love to claim a spot, and nothing really has changed. And all along, you know, Bobby or David Forst and, and Billy Bean were saying that uh, you know it, it's a status quo; it's as is. We're going to rely on the young guys. And I always thought that it would be a good idea to get a veteran arm in there to sort of. Uh, put a lot of these younger guys at ease. I mean, Graveman is trying to grab that leadership role, but, you know, there are other guys out there, maybe cheaper, maybe more expensive, but you would think somebody would be available on a one-year deal. And and I and I thought about it further. I didn't write this, but, but what, a, you know, especially with the uncertainty of Maxwell, the catcher, whether, whether it's his legal issue or history with concussions, what about bringing in a veteran catcher, you know, to maybe put these rotation guys that he's, uh, so that, you know, a couple of things I was thinking about. And, and uh, I mean, uh, when you, when you talk about a veteran catcher out there, Jonathan Lucroy, I, I don't, I, I have heard nothing about him in the age. Uh, I, I assume, I mean, he bats right, throws right. So, uh, you know, he wouldn't be a replacement for Maxwell, Maxwell, more like a compliment. But, you know, obviously they have a couple of right-handed guys, uh, right-handed hitters, whether it's Fegley or uh, Carneau. But in in Lucroy's case, uh, you know, with, with all that uh, <laughs> room in the payroll for just 
you know, a possible need to bring in a guy, I would think maybe somebody like that could be of interest to him. Yeah, well, I think that the issue the is that the A's just don't, I think they're going to be right around $65 million with their payroll. I think they have no interest in going up from there. Uh, I know every agent with a, a free agent catcher called the A's this offseason, and including you've got to expect uh, XL, which is uh, represents Jonathan LaCroix. Uh, and uh, the A's just have no interest, no interest in adding a catcher. Now, Maxwell, his history of concussions and then um, getting smacked with a backswing in the first game of the Cactus League, maybe maybe they start to reevaluate that at some point. Maybe LaCroix's asking price starts to come down the longer he, he's waiting to sign with a team. Um, but, yeah, that's I, – I, going back to the starter thing, I really thought a veteran starter would be something the A's need. Kendall Graveman is making a fantastic effort at being a big team leader. In fact, he's doing more than really any any starting pitcher I can remember. He's getting the rest of the starters together a couple times a week early so they can kind of talk about things. He's having everybody watch each other's bullpen sessions to, so people can give each other tips and keep an eye on mechanics and things like that. It's That's fantastic. But, you know, he's so young. He's 27. He's in, in his third year in the league. And uh, it's somebody I thought maybe somebody like a Doug Fister would be fantastic, somebody that has a good rec- reputation, has been around for a while. Obviously, he's off the, the table. But, you know, somebody local like Scott Feldman, who probably would sign mm-hmm. a minor league deal, fantastic reputation also good in the clubhouse you know maybe maybe take a look at somebody like that but yeah you know if he's not going to make the team i guess maybe uh, why even take a flyer tim lincecum they didn't even send a, a scout to watch his workout so i think they're very happy with the group they have and and maybe they feel like um the training wheels are off and they don't need a, a veteran to to help baby him along and now we're in the era of relying on bullpens more and that was maybe more of an emphasis with Begon and Petit to make their bullpen deeper yeah, to maybe take yeah. some of the pressure. Yeah, that's a third guy, yeah. another lefty. So uh, maybe that's maybe that's the key here is, well, we're not going to emphasize the rotation. We have enough guys. We have enough bodies. And we, we, can, we can always, because some of these guys, many of them are out of, you know, do, you know, have options remaining and could be sent to AAA. Uh, and they can bring up, you know, a fresh arm for the for the next ten days, whatever. So they kind of can kind of mix and match. They can send guys down, bring guys up, and rely on the bullpen. I mean, this is 2018. So what what did we see in the postseason? You know, we saw the Dodgers, we saw the Astros. You know, so so many of these teams are taking their guys out after four or five innings it's just amazing compared to 5 10 15 20 years ago when these guys were automatic seven eight inning guys yeah. especially these deep teams in the playoffs and now especially third time through the lineup the stats and the metrics show that they just are not as effective against these batters and the relievers with you know the 98 99 are and that's the trend that's where we're going yeah, that's the way of the world. Uh, the one thing that gives me pause with that is because of everyone needing more relievers and going to the bullpen more, um, like the A's, like several other teams, had an eight-man bullpen last year. That limits you from a bench standpoint. That essentially gives you a three-man bench. And the A's have a guy who I really like who's out of options in Renato Nunez. He's got a lot of power. Not a guy, you know, he's maybe a utility guy, corner infielder, left fielder, DH. Uh, you know, playing in the field is probably not his strong suit, but the guy can hit. 
Uh, he's very young. He's got a lot of ability. He's been in the organization since he was 16. Hmm. I'd love to see them be able to keep him around. And Brandon Moss, who's back, part of that <laughs> Bookter trade. You know, they took on the salary essentially so they could get Ryan Bookter. But man, who doesn't love Brandon Moss? And talk about power. He's he's still got it. So when you've got an eight-man bullpen, you're not going to be able to keep both of those guys. And that's going to be a difficult decision for the A's. It, it's it is pretty amazing it, it, it seems like there are you know some jobs to win here in spring training and and maybe in years past it wasn't you know such a, a competitive field whether it's the, the bullpen or the rotation uh you know I, I think we pretty much know most of the everyday lineup uh but it, it's it's a crapshoot with kids because you just don't know they don't have the guaranteed contracts so it's not automatic and Billy and David could and, and Bob Melvin could uh, change their minds anytime in spring training and go, do, you know, pull a 180. And, uh, you know, except for maybe the two corner uh, infielders and, and the new DH, Chris Davis, um, and, you know, so much youth all around. Obviously, Jed Lowry, if he stays, and I, you're guessing he will, right? He, he's, he's certainly uh, through he's um, not trade bait. Yeah, not, the, not during the spring. He'll, he'll be here, I think, through mid season. Now, all bets are off, as you know, if the A's are not in contention in mid-season. I, I think they would trade any asset they feel like they could get some good value for. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, if you're not signing big guys to big contracts, you, you can more easily sh- let guys go. Um, and really, the EDAs only have uh, two guys uh, who are prominent, who are out of options this spring that need, they need to make decisions on. Nunez, who we, we just mentioned, and Raul Alcantara. So, uh, mm. you know, they they really they've got a lot of flexibility when it comes to roster manipulation. It, when you talk about the the free agent market and the fact that the A's aren't signing anyone and the the Giants didn't go after any starters, I, that was the way around baseball. And that, as a national baseball guy, I wanted to get your take on on sort of the this whole issue around the union and Major League Baseball and the, the slow free agent market and the, the thought that some teams are tanking and they're not spending enough money. What? How do you see things? Well, it it is so odd. Uh, because I, I I covered baseball through that crazy 94-95 strike in which Donald Fear, the executive director of the Players Association, was so adamant in saying, no cap, no cap. We're going to strike if you guys say, you know, we, we're going to have a cap. And Bud Selig and the other owners said, we're forcing this cap, you know, in, in negotiations. And he said, okay, then we're walking. And in mid-August of 94, they walked. And what, 232 days later, uh, they finally settled, but it was forced upon them, and there was no cap. But all these years later, uh, under Tony Clark, there's a virtual cap. Now, they didn't agree to a virtual cap. They probably didn't realize a virtual cap was coming when they negotiated in this luxury tax, uh, which is now $197 million, which is sort of ridiculous because the increase in uh you know per year the 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 amount of the threshold uh, going up year by year i think it's going to be nine million next year uh more than it is this year but it may just you know you know tiny increases over the past couple of years it, it just doesn't go hand in hand with the revenues the increase in revenues uh and the nba does have a system in which they do have a floor, a payroll floor and a payroll cap, but the players make a certain percentage 
of the revenues every single year, and yeah, that's guaranteed. 51% or something. And baseball doesn't yeah. have that. Yeah. Yeah. So while baseball has surpassed $10 billion in revenue, uh, you know, the, the payrolls on average are expected to come down this year. And so when people complain, well, the players are greedy, the players are greedy, well, not as greedy as the owners because the owners are winning here. They're yeah. making a lot more money because payrolls have flattened, and yeah. whether it's the Yankees or the the Dodgers or uh, the Mets or the Tigers or even the Giants across the bay, all these teams that would probably otherwise be well over two hundred million in payroll are now looking at that one ninety seven, and it's kind of it's kind of unusual. It's it it's it's it, and and it's a reason you're seeing Jake Arrieta. Well, a whole, whole bunch of Scott Boris clients, in fact, but some non-Boris clients uh, who have uh, either signed, you know, late in the game or remain unsigned. And it's it's so unusual. And whether whether uh, things change next year uh, with with Bryce Harper and Manny Machado as, you know, the 26 year olds who are going to be on the market for the first time uh, and all these teams maybe. Uh, gearing back to reset their threshold and go over next year to pay these guys. But, you know, that that's another question. Will we see another kind of free agent mark, market like this or or will, you know, the market explode next year, starting with those two guys? That, that's a big question. But, you know, I think the players kind of cut a raw deal for themselves. Uh, I think they looked at uh, some issues that were kind of cosmetic, whether it's uh, better travel, a longer season to give them more off days, which is all great. You know, great for the health and safety of the players, which Tony Clark uh, really pushed in negotiations. But I think the owners might have pulled one over on them with this uh, uh, virtual cap, which they camouflage as a threshold. Yeah, I, you know, I'd agree with you. And I find it interesting, the reaction from fans, because certainly you're, you're right. You do hear a lot about greedy players and don't they make enough. If you're siding with the, the owners over the players, you're siding with billionaires against millionaires. Yeah. And, you know, are you paying to, to watch, you know, John Fisher or, uh, you know, Larry Bear or whoever, you know, <laughs> the executives and the owners? You're, you're playing to watch Bryce Harper. You're playing to watch Josh Donaldson. You you know, Yoannis Espet. If, if these guys are, you know, making big money they deserve it that's that's where the money should be going and remember these teams have massive well with the exception of a few teams including these they have massive media deals too um they all got a lot of money from the sale of mlb advanced media's um stat thing uh, they, each team's getting uh 50 million dollars this year from that uh i it's uh it's staggering to me that that people think like oh the, the greedy players because you know what um they're a union and and they you know they might have whiffed on this collective bargaining agreement but it's creating enough ill will that it makes me worry about um potential labor stoppage and maybe a really bad negotiation next time around right and i don't think anyone was more outspoken than our own Brandon Moss who made some great points in interviews on all of this and, uh, uh, you know, everyone's talking, you know, about tanking. Well, there, there's there's all kinds of friction now that didn't exist a year or two ago. And it's the CBA is 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 fairly new. I mean, this runs through 2020. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, now we're seeing agents and even the union suggesting that teams are tanking one third of baseball, 10 or 11 teams not trying to compete. And, you know, it's a matter of, well, there's a free agent out there and he'll cost us 10 million. 
but you know what? We're going to lose 80 or 90 games, whether we have them or not. We're, we're not playoff bound in 18. So uh, let's kick back and use somebody from within, bring up a prospect, and we're still not going to get the play to the playoffs w- with him. So why even sign that guy? And we'll, we'll save the $10 million, and who knows how much we get in revenue sharing, right? That's not even... Uh, part of the discussion, but it should be because a lot of these teams, the the A's are kind of falling off the charts on revenue sharing. They used to get, you know, darn well near $40 million, but that's been cut 25% year after year until it evaporates into nothing. Uh, But other teams certainly get a whole bunch of revenue sharing. I can count a whole bunch of them who are you know, in the unions were tanking, but yeah. in Rob I'm the A's, I'm kind of ticked because they, yeah, they, the A's got pointed out as they're not spending in it. Mm-hmm. Like, let's take it away. Well, they're they're definitely not the only the only one. And they, you know, they did plenty up. They're just now out from underneath the Billy Billy Butler contract, which was obviously mm-hmm. a big mistake. But you know, that's a thirty million dollar contract. That's not nothing. So, uh, you know, I feel for some of these guys that are sitting out, I worry that somebody like Arietta will wind up sitting out a whole year. You know, if somebody does, it, it's that's a gamble. Look what happened with Mark Appel. His career's over before he ever even got into the big leagues after sitting out one year at the, the behest of Scott Boris. So uh, I, 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 this is not a good situation, and, and I do worry that some there, there's going to be some rough waters ahead with this, this CBA. Yeah, and and you know the the, the bottom line is uh, uh, you, you know peace between the sides that we've had from Seeley to Manfred and really three uh, uh, you know union executives uh, all the way you know into Tony Clark uh, you know uh, labor peace from '95 all the way until now and and you know it could last and probably will last through 2020, which is a long time. You know, we haven't seen hockey or, or football or, or basketball uh, exist that way. But this is a real issue. And there's a reason now uh, we don't have the pace of play rules that uh, Rob Manfred laid out and was hoping for. Uh, he kind of withdrew when <laughs> when the, the union, first of all, rejected the uh, you know 20 second uh, the pitch clock. And and then, you know, in the wake of all the free agents who didn't sign, uh, you know, kind of popped off, uh, you know, through the union, through players, through agents about their, uh, you know, about their frustrations over over teams not signing these free agents who, you know, a lot of people's minds could be, uh, you know, difference makers on many teams. So. So, you know, it, it, it's all under one umbrella, all this stuff. And it's it's going to be fascinating uh as it all plays out this year, whether the friction will exist, whether these free agents will sign, whether these teams will be accused of tanking all year. And when you knock out a third of baseball, you know, that hurts the pennant races. That means there's, you know, only two out of three teams that are really going to try to you know, contend in the end. And who knows? There might be one of those 10 or 11 teams that really pull together, whether it's the A's or someone else. And, uh, you know, fools a lot of people and actually does contend. But for the most part, I, I think we're going to see uh, limited pennant races. We, may, we might see a whole lot of wins by these uh, upper teams that are going to take advantage of these other teams who are either tanking or rebuilding. Well, it's going to be fascinating to, to keep an eye on, and I look forward to many more conversations with you over the course of the year about this topic and uh, <laughs> all the other ones we'll have coming down the pike in what's going to be a fascinating 2018. John Shea, thank you for joining us on 
Shea Plus, our very first one, and we will talk to you again next week. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is The Third by Anatech, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. The show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. For more A's coverage, you can follow me on Twitter at Susan Slusser. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com. <laughs>